0: Hey, welcome to Cyber Church. I'm Jim Richards, and man, we are in the middle of a, I think a wonderful series called Being the Wisdom of God. And wisdom is practical. Now, I'm going to tell you, if there's anything that we need, it is to know how to apply the Word in a daily setting, in a real life setting. And so I'm going to talk to you today about what I call the promise of wisdom. And remember, again, wisdom is the practical application of God's Word. It's about how to take the information you have in God's Word and actually make it work in day-to-day situations or make it work when you're, when you're in a crisis. Now, a question that has been rolling over and over in my mind just for the last week or so just because of something that I, that I read recently. You know, I've thought about all the times in the past that you would be talking to someone or I would be talking to someone, counseling someone, witnessing to someone, and um, uh, they would say, look, I I, I believe in God. And when you would begin to talk about some of the attributes of God to that person, they would then quickly let you know, well, I I don't believe in that. And you know what? When it's something that's just kind of my opinion or that's not clear in the Bible, I can understand that. We've got, we've got a lot of, there's some things that we've got a lot of room to say, mm, I kind of see it this way. Another person says, well, I kind of see it this way. That's, that's fine. But there are some things that are just absolutely clear in the scripture about God. There is no if and, there's no way to do anything with it other than just deny it. Now, you might come up with some theological way to justify denying it. And, you know, and, and people do that. You remember when Jesus was speaking and somebody came up to him and said, look, you know, uh, uh, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And he's like, well, you know, uh, what do you think? And, and, you know, they got into this discussion about the most important commandment. And Jesus said, well, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might." And then he said, but the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And the, and the Bible says that this person seeking to justify himself Said, well, let me ask you now. Exactly, who does that mean? Who, who, who is my neighbor? You know what? You got a lot of people of both colors today that say, I can love somebody if they're the same color I am. You got people in different economic groups that saying, I my neighbor is the person who is in the same economic group that I'm in. Well, you know something that's really interesting about that is the Hebrew word for neighbor, that was in the scripture that Jesus quoted, was a word that God used to describe the Egyptians that had oppressed the children of Israel. In other words, God was saying to them, Even though they are your oppressors, they are still your neighbors. Now, the word he used for love wasn't like, okay, you're going to be buddies with them necessarily. You're going to be friends, but you're going to treat them with respect. You're going to to contribute to their dignity and worth. You're not going to put them down. And, you know, we live in a a, a world that doesn't want to do that. So there's a lot of things in the scripture that we'll read and seeking to justify ourselves, We try to come up with some theological explanation around Something that we don't want to face, something we we don't want to deal with, and you know we we've all done it. I remember back in the '70s, uh, I went into a small town to do a crusade. Actually, there was a, there was a university there, and it was my first um, crusade that I ever did, and it was on a college campus, and it was in Jacksonville, Alabama, in 1974, and um, and so. I moved there temporarily got a job and for weeks leading up to the crusade, I, I actually, uh, w- was winning people to Jesus, ministering on the streets, you know, just connecting with people in the community and, uh, trying to minister to and help people. And I'll never forget. There was a guy who, uh, had grown up in church and I knew his entire family, his entire family. They were really godly people. And, um, but he had been an alcoholic since he was young, and I was in his house one night, and of course he was drunk, and and I was sharing Jesus with him. I was talking about how good God was. He's crying out of control, and I mean, you know, he was pretty disgusting if you want to know the truth. Uh, but anyhow, so he's crying. All of a sudden, he stops and says, "Let me see your Bible." I said, well, sure, and I I hand him my Bible, because I'd been reading scriptures to him, you know, out of the Bible, and he starts flipping through my Bible and looking at the pages, and I said, he said, what is it you're looking for? He said, well, I was just trying to find out what Bible you were reading. I said, what do you mean what Bible I'm reading? He said, well, I've never heard of the God you're talking about. You know, something from that time until this time, and there's been several situations where it would come back into my memory about how people think when you ask them if they believe in God or if they believe in Jesus. And what you find is many people who say yes, they don't really believe in the God of the Bible. They believe in a version of God from the Bible, usually a version that they created that they're comfortable with. They don't necessarily believe in a God who had Jesus, His only begotten Son at the time, come and represent Him and show the world who He was. Not everybody believes in God the Father of the Lord Jesus, the one that Jesus manifests to the world because their doctrine about Jesus and their doctrine about God are diametrically opposed one to the other. Now, my my point is this, in approaching the Bible, we have this tendency to to just pick and choose scriptures that support certain doctrines. Now I'm going to say something here, and I don't want to be insulting to anybody, but I, you know, I am in touch with with thousands of leaders around the world. And I want to tell you something. the last fifty or sixty years has created some of the worst theologians. I think the world may have ever seen since the birth of the church, because we have got pastors and leaders out there that went through Bible schools that all they learned was topics. They did topical studies. And so uh, it kind of reminds me of my Church of Christ aunt. You You know, my Church of Christ aunt loved me. She was good to me. And she was scared to death that I was gonna go to hell uh, even though I'd gotten saved and gotten off drugs and cleaned up my life, she, she constantly told me that I was going to go to hell because I didn't go to the Church of Christ. And that, you know, according to her and her way of thinking, you couldn't go to heaven unless you were a part of that group of people. And so when I would talk to her and she would tell me her beliefs, I would ask her questions about scriptures that were very clear. You didn't have to twist them to make them say anything. And I found that if it was outside of a particular topic, a particular arguing point, she really had no answer. She didn't understand it because she didn't really understand the Bible. She just understood the doctrines that she had been taught to study. And even worse, she only understood them in light of what they meant, isolate it from the rest of the Word of God. We think that because we have a particular Scripture, that we can take that Scripture and we're applying that Scripture and we consider that to be the truth. Well, as you'll soon discover, what is true is not always the truth. Now, think of it this way. If you were in an automobile accident and you were thrown from your vehicle and you landed in a pile of rocks and man, you skidded across those rocks and they cut a deep gaping wound into you and that wound filled up with with, uh, dirt and grass and other debris, you wouldn't apply an antibiotic without first cleaning the wound. Because to do so, would render the antibiotic ineffective. Now, is it true that we need an antibiotic when we've got a wound like that, that has been been, uh, contaminated? Well, absolutely it's true. But is it the truth that you can apply that antibiotic under any circumstances without cleaning the wound and expect it to be effective? No. That's kind of the way we are with the scripture. We grab a scripture and we lift that scripture out of context. We lift that scripture out of who God revealed himself to be. We lift that scripture out of context and try to apply that scripture in some way that's not connected to everything else that God has said. I'm telling you, it becomes an absolute an utter mess and then we think well then there's something wrong here because God is not really working for me. God's scripture, his word is not true. You know uh, some of you have heard me tell this story. You know I'm probably not going to get as far today as I want to get in this particular message but it's important that that you get where we're going. But in 1975 I was doing my undergraduate work in theology. My first child had had been born and uh uh, you know, I was taking a double, I was taking a double load. I was going full time uh, in the mornings. I was going full time in the evenings and I was taking correspondence courses on the weekend. Now, the reason I was doing that is because when I went there, God had spoke to my heart and said, in two years, you'll be leaving. Well, I wanted to get, I wanted to earn my bachelor's degree in two years because I knew in my heart I'd be leaving when the two years was up. So, So it was, it was rough. I'm telling you. And I only had, so I got, I would get out of school at noon every day and I'd have to go straight to work and I could only work then until about five o'clock and then I'd have to rush home, change clothes, go to school, be at class at six o'clock and then get out at nine o'clock that night and then study from about nine o'clock till 11 or 12 o'clock and then, you know, get up the next morning, start all over again. Man, it was, it was full pace. So, in order to in order to do that and make enough money to support myself, I started a, a small contracting business, and winter was approaching and when you 're in contracting business, you want to have your work lined up before winter sets in because it's, people don 't want to do remodeling work in the winter. so I had this great opportunity to do a job on a military base I, I, I was quite close to the guy that owned the company and um, uh, he wanted me to have the job. So, you know, I'm spending weeks and weeks and weeks pouring over blueprints and, and making measurements and calculations on what kind of supplies I'm going to need to do this job. And so, you know, I, I, I put my bid in. It comes time for Christmas uh, holidays. And so, so uh, but in the meantime, I hired a guy to work for me that was a Bible school student. And um, he had five kids, and I really had a lot of compassion for him. I liked the guy, we got along well, and I hired him. he worked for me for you know for a few weeks and did you know he did all right. And so just out of compassion, and also I wanted someone to help carry a little bit more of the load, I offered him a partnership in this business, and he obviously agreed. and so <clears throat> You know, I did all of the bidding. I did all the work getting ready to do this job on this Navy base. So um, uh, it came time for Christmas holidays. So I wanted to go home, visit family for a couple of weeks. And so when I left, I told them, I said, now, if they call about this job, you call me, I will drop everything And even if I have to miss Christmas at home, I'll drop everything. I will come back and we'll start this job because this is, you know, we hadn't lined up any other work. This was a shoe in. We had not lined up any other work for the winter. And, uh, I go home, don't hear from him. I come back, I call him. I said, what's going on with the, with the Navy based job? He said, look, uh, they've given the job to somebody else. And he said, I just can't, I couldn't wait for you to come back, find us some more work. So, so, so I've gone, I'm, I'm doing something else. So I'm like, okay. And uh, man, I had to get out and hustle. And, I, and I'm telling you, honestly, I was picking up soft drink bottles and selling them, uh, walking back and forth to school because I didn't have enough gas back. No, many of you today don't know what that means. You know, some of the younger people back then you could sell soft drink bottles for a nickel apiece, And you know, that means 20 of them, you could, you, you'd have enough money to buy, buy a dollar's worth of gas. And, uh, I was going downtown you know, with the winos and the hookers and I was selling my blood plasma and you know, doing every single thing I could to rake and scrape, to get by and not end up out in the cold and not end up having to drop out of school. Well, the long and the short of it is, I won't go into all the details, but the long and the short of it is I found out that when, when the uh, contractor called us about starting the job, he told the guy that he had taken over my business, and that I was no longer a part of it. And he got that contract. Oh, man. You know, I was devastated emotionally, but I was devastated financially. And so, you know, I'm praying, man, I'm seeking God. And you know really, I'm I'm whining. You know, I call myself praying. It's like, God, what happens here? You know, man, you know, I give, I've been faithful to give. I've been faithful to do everything you've called me to do. And see, again, that's where we get this idea that we can we can lift something out of Scripture, take it out of context, and you know it's sort of like the person who believes in the hundredfold return. If I give to a ministry that that gets the hundredfold return, then I can do that. I can go over and live like a fool and spend money like crazy, but God's going to multiply this hundredfold return. Well, I wasn't quite that foolish, but. I was taking scriptures about giving and and generosity and, and and trying to apply them to a situation that really that really they they didn't apply. And so I'm whining to God and and God, you know, how did this happen to me? And God told me that it happened because I was being a fool. Well, you know, that's warm and fuzzy words that you want to hear when you're fighting to get by and make ends meet. And I'm like a fool. What do you mean? And so finally I go to the scripture, look up the Hebrew word for fool or foolish and find out that a foolish person is someone who will not learn by instruction. They will only learn by consequences. So I'm seeking God. It's like, what do you mean? What you never told me not to hire this guy. I would have listened to you. I've always followed the spirit. Anytime I felt like I should do anything. Uh, you know, I've done it. I've never, I've never held back on you. And, um, I won't, again, I won't go through the whole laborious story, but, but basically I just kept going back to the word and praying. And so the Lord led me to this scripture that said, if you depend on an unfaithful servant in a time of trouble, it's like standing on a foot out of joint or it's like chewing on a broken tooth. I'm like, I get it. Here I am. I was dependent on a person that was unfaithful. But how did I know he was unfaithful? Well, you know what, I began to read other scriptures in the book of Proverbs, and I started seeing that the reason that I didn't know he was unfaithful was because I assumed, really, I passed a judgment. I passed a good judgment. See, good judgments will get you in trouble just as quick as a bad judgment. I assumed that since he hadn't given me a reason to think he was a bad guy, that he must have been a good guy. So I trusted him on, a, on an assumption or actually on a judgment. And so I never tested him. I never put him in situations to see if he was a trustworthy employee so that I would know if I could move him into a partnership situation and then, you know, into a management situation. Well, <clears throat> and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what I did. And I've told this story hundreds of times. Everybody out there could be that's heard me tell this story could be making 10 times the money that they're making if they, if they had listened to this story. Um, uh, and, and it's amazing how many people come to me and said, and said, you know, man, I made a bad deal, got in trouble. And I'd say, did you ever hear me tell that story? Yes. Did you ever go in the book of Proverbs and do this? Well, no. So I'll tell you what I did. I went in the book of Proverbs, everywhere that it said king, prince, ruler, in other words, any leadership role, I would insert the word employer. Every place that it talked about um, a servant, a worker, or that sort of thing, I would insert the word employee. And then every scripture that had anything to do with money, you know, uh, of any kind, or trading, or, or 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 anything that had to do with business or money, then I took those out. And I developed a management philosophy, and I haven't lost on net gains in business since 1975. Now, have I lost money on individual deals? Oh yeah. Have I lost a lot of money on individual deals? Yes, but at the end of the day, by the time the, we would calculate the losses and the gains, even though I might've lost some money here, at the end of the year or at the end of the deal, I would always end up in the black simply by applying God's Word. Now, one of the things that people would say right there, and I can't tell you how many people said this to me, is like, look, Jim, you know, Proverbs is Old Testament. And of course, you know, right then I realize I'm dealing with somebody that doesn't know much about God, doesn't know much about the Bible. Because God's wisdom did not change between the Old Testament and New Testament. In other words, Jesus did not come and show us a new version of God. God didn't repent over all of the things that he said throughout the Old Testament. It was still his truth. It was still his wisdom. It was still how we can live and come out the best that we can possibly come out. Now, when you go to the book of uh, uh, of James, and many, many people just can't deal with the book of James. They don't understand what the book of James is about. Oh, by the way, let, let me mention this because I'll forget, and, I'm, and I want you to help me reach people. But uh, if you like this program and you're watching this on YouTube, be sure and like it. If if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure and and uh, uh, register to, to uh, subscribe to get... This broadcast every time it comes up because the more people that subscribe, the more people that like, then the more people that are going to get to see this all over the world. If you're not watching on YouTube, be sure and go to YouTube when you get through watching this and 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 uh, subscribe and like this so we can get this out here. Now, the book of the, the book of James is is almost like the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs, and the book of James brings us into something that. Man, people just don't, people don't want, if you want to know the truth, believers don't want this. There's a lot of stuff that if believers don't want, they find a theological way to, to convince themselves that they can uh, uh, have what they want some way other than how God has laid it out. And, <clears throat> but I'm going to share something with you. And, and I shared this in this incredible series called Wisdom for Healing. that I'm telling you, it's one of the most practical series you'll ever hear about how to walk out of sickness based on the wisdom of God's word. See, when we get into trouble, we always think that the solution for the problem is a miracle. Now, I'm I'm good with miracles. But here's what you want to understand. Wisdom is preventative. Miracles are curative. I remember when I was a new believer, reading through the book of Exodus for the very first time, you know, uh, uh, nearly 50 years ago, and I remember reading the story about the children of Israel Pharaoh's after them, and and they make it to the Red Sea. They're surrounded by water on three sides. Pharaoh's armies bearing down behind them to come down and crush them and destroy them, and they get. A series of miracles. Number one, God goes between Pharaoh's army and the children of Israel, and the cloud that usually led them by day, and the fire that led them by night got between the Israelites and the Egyptians and confused the Egyptians. They couldn't find their way, and I'm sure they felt obstructed if there was a fire there between them. And so, you know, Moses goes over, stretches out his rod, and the Water parts, and you know the whole story. The children of Israel cross over. Pharaoh's armies pursue. Moses stretches his arms out over there again. And bam, the water comes in and drowns Pharaoh and his armies, and they are seen no more. And I learned something from that story that that I've said hundreds of times since then. If you want a miracle, then that means you need to be surrounded by water on three sides... Have certain death pursuing you, and have no way out. You know what? I, I'm not, that makes me not so much need a miracle. I, I've had miracles when I was when I was on the verge of death. I've had miracles when my life was on the line. I've had miracles when I faced situations that there was no way out of it. But the problem is, we try to convince ourselves that miracles are the solutions. For everything. In James, the first chapter, of the second verse it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I don't have time to spend on that part uh, at this very moment. But it, remember that same chapter says, be sure you know this, that when you're in that word for trials, tested, tried, scrutinized, made to strive. Uh, don't ever say it's gone. God does not bring the trials, but even in the trials, he can work in your life and something incredible can happen. That's the reason you would count it joy. The joy is not that you're going through something bad. The joy is that you're going to experience God if you're going to trust him. But anyhow, he goes on and says, you know, the trying of your faith produces patience. And it's interesting, he says, let patience have its own work. Because when patience has its own work, then it says you're going to be perfect, you're going to be complete, you're going to be entire, you're going to be lacking nothing. And again, in the series uh, with this and being the wisdom of God, I'm I'm going through a lot more details than we have time to go through in these programs. But uh, uh, every good and perfect gift comes from God. It's not the pain, it's not from God, the testing is not from God, all of that. Uh, and it's patience that has to have its perfect work in us is not the testing that needs us to uh, have perfect work. So in that passage of Scripture, though, it goes on, it says, and in so many words, I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time. Well, no, here it is, verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, now what is wisdom? If you lack the appropriate insight from God about how to walk out of this situation, then let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach, and it'll be given to him. In other words, when I am facing, as a believer, now, if, if there's no other resources, if there's no other way out of this, and particularly sometimes if I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm a, a non-believer, yeah, I might need a miracle, and I'm never opposed to a miracle, but the Word of God here says that when we are in these situations where we're being tested, tried, scrutinized, made to strain and to strive, that what we need to get out of that situation is wisdom. And the problem is most of us are seeking a miracle. Now listen, next week, I'm going to show you from the Scripture things that you can have through the wisdom of God that are preventative, that keep you from ever getting into the problem to start with. The greatest miracle is not the one that gets you out of trouble. The greatest miracle is the one that prevents you. And God never wants you ending up in trouble, so you're having to try to find some way out. So... Next week, we're going, to be, we're going to be talking more about the promise of wisdom. And we're going to, trust me, we're going to take you on a journey that's going to make your life easy and life. Let me say this before I go. You know something, we are starting a Bible schools all over the world is our goal to reach one billion disciples or create a billion disciples around the world. And I need your help to do that. If you would like to be a part of what we do, a part of what we call Operation One Billion, if you would like to help us start Bible schools around the world, I want you to go to my website, www.impactministries.com, and, and see about becoming a world changer, someone who's going to help us change the way the world sees God. Help us financially, because I'm going to tell you something. We are, we are doing more with the resources that we have than you can imagine. We are literally, literally raising up people all over the world that are going to be equipped for this day that we live in to live in absolute victory and to lead people into living in victory and to transform lives. Everywhere. So if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. And I'll be back and I'll be talking to you next week. You're going to hang on every word when we talk more about the promise of wisdom.